What's good people, it's Ocean here, welcome to the Ocean Podcast, this is number 15 and today we've got Gabe from Legion Beats and he's well known for making over a million dollars selling beats online. He has his own very unique system where he uses Facebook ads and sales funnels and all that kind of stuff to sell beats. He doesn't do it in the traditional uploading your beats on YouTube and doing the tight beat thing. He has his own way of doing it and it's been working really well. And now he also teaches people how to sell beats online this way. So we get to all that in this podcast. Before we get into it though, hit the subscribe button if you're watching on YouTube. Make sure you're following on Spotify and on Apple as well. And yeah, with that being said, let's get straight into the podcast. Ocean Gango Drown. What's good people? It's Ocean here. Welcome back to the Ocean Podcast. Today we have got Gabe from Legion Beats on the podcast. What's good, bro? How's everything? going on appreciate you having me on hey man i appreciate you coming on how how is life in the bay area i think you're you're from right yep yep bay area i'm in california um just across the golden gate bridge from san francisco and uh yeah nice. man, just just uh honestly busier than ever just working away um yeah we're over here at, at uh at, in the studio my studio and mm-hmm. uh, that's pretty much where where i spend most of my time Nice, man. Um, usually when someone comes on the podcast for the first time, I like to go through like their backstory, how they got into music, how they got into what they're doing. So let's take it all the way back to young Gabe coming up, just getting started. Yeah, for sure. So um, really, you know, my, my first first introduction from music was was like in school. I, was, I played the bass. I actually played the stand up bass, like played, uh, mm-hmm. played in, the, in the orchestra and the jazz band. That was like my first first introduction to music, and uh, you know I liked it, but I, I didn't I didn't take it too seriously or anything. And then yeah. it was uh, <clears throat> I think it was my senior year of high school. Uh, I was living with my dad, and he um, he got like some little home studio stuff. And this was uh, this was 1999. That's I'm old, so <laughs> <And> I, was, <laughs> uh, I was uh, I was still in high school then, and uh, and he got a little home studio, and there were these um, these ADAT tapes, um, which are like. It, they're they're technically digital uh, recorders. They're one of the first mm-hmm. multi-tracted recorders, but they look like giant VHS tapes. Like the tapes are literally like this big, and you like put them into this thing. Um, like it's it's it seems so archaic now. Um, but yeah. He, do you know what I'm talking about? Have you seen those? I'm trying to picture it, but I can't remember it. It's yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, is it it's, is it like cassette tapes or way bigger than that? Yes, it's like cassette tapes, but way bigger. So like you know, okay, tapes, whatever this big, it's like mm-hmm. this big. Um, and so we do. You like plug that into this thing. You'd hit record. You know what I mean? You could record a track, and then you could rewind it and record another track. And so he had a couple of keyboards. They weren't sequencers. They were just literally like you know old Roland keyboards. And then he yeah. also had a uh, Roland TR six two six, which is like really old drum machine um that you know it literally had like one or maybe two kicks you know two mm-hmm. snares whatever and so basically what i would do is out the way that i would make beats is i would program on that drum machine i'd program mm-hmm. you know loops or you could actually kind of get deep into it and actually create little arrangements but for the most part i just like record a loop or like create a loop i'd hit record on my little multi-track recorder right and then i'd record like three minutes of the drums then i'd rewind yeah. it and then I'd, I'd figure out what I want to play on the keys for that part. And then I'd literally hit mm-hmm. record and just play for three minutes. So I was like, you know, there's no um, loops, there's no quantize, nothing like that. I would just play for like three minutes or whatever. And I'd start, I'd start having to think, okay, like intro, verse, hook, whatever. I'm going to play this. And then I'm going to play this, yeah. you know, rewind it again. 
Um, so, it, you know, it sounds so ancient now, but I realize now that <laughs> it, it gave me some advantages really because it forced me to think about music, you know, a little bit more. It forced me to like try to actually yeah, it play seems on like, time. You know what I it mean? It seems like everything had to be very intentional. Like you couldn't just experiment too much because it has to fit. It has to be like kind of perfect at the same time. Exactly right. And so it's, so I think that helped kind of inform my, the way that I, that I approach making music. And so I'm actually grateful mm-hmm. now that I did have that as my background because it, you know, forced me to learn certain skills that I might not have if I just started in a, in some software or sequence or whatever. Uh, so that was kind yeah. of my first, my first exposure to it. Um, and then from there, you know, ended up, uh, you know, playing around with it, still not taking it super seriously, but like, you know, interested in it. And then um, ended up uh, going to, to school for a year, going to college for a year. And um, that summer, I uh, applied for an internship at a local recording studio. And it was literally just mm-hmm. like, you know, I, I looked in the phone book of like, hey, are there recording studios, you know, in the area? And this is, you know, when there used when phone books used to be a thing. And, uh, <laughs> and so it was literally one of the, it might have been the first recording studio that I just happened to call up. I was like, hey, you guys want somebody to work for free? Like, can I just intern? Can I just work over there? And they're yeah. like, hey, come through. And uh, what's interesting is I didn't I didn't know it at the time, but the uh, person who owned that studio is a guy named Narda Michael Walden, and Narda is a three-time Grammy winner. He won Producer of the Year, um, Album of the Year, and Song of the Year. Um, nice. You know, one of the most you know the the, the best-selling producers of all times. He you know produced for Whitney mm-hmm. Houston, Mariah Carey, uh, Aretha Franklin, just like R and B you know legend. He did like the Bodyguard soundtrack, which is like I think if. Somebody check me on this, but I believe it's the second best-selling album of all time behind Thriller. So, like, not okay. bad. So, he, he released, yeah. that was his song, and, and he recorded it at the studio in San Rafael, which is where I live. Um, mm-hmm. So, this literally just happened to be the first place that I called up. I got an internship there and, and, just, and just started working there and started learning and, <clears throat> you know, learning about um, production for sure. But also, the thing that I wasn't expecting as much was learning about engineering and learning about, you know, Pro tools, okay, how to yeah. record, how to mix, how to master, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so um, that skill set actually ended up really serving me well in my music career, both both as a producer and, and outside, because from there, I started working in another studio, eventually ended up opening up my own recording studio. And a lot of times the yeah. engineering was like the gateway was the way that I was able to meet all these artists and then ultimately end up being able to produce for them or not. But like the, the crazy thing is like there's there's so many producers, right? And and if you're an artist that um, has, you know, some notoriety, people that people want to work with, like their inbox is flooded with, you know, producers trying to work with them. But mm-hmm. they if they can find an engineer who's dope, who works fast, who works, who, you know, does a good job, um, that is way more in demand. So that ended up being my in, you know, for a lot of years was like, rappers love working with me as an engineer first and that's mm-hmm. how I'd bring them in, you know, and then that would kind of create more opportunities as far as, you know, uh, working with them as a producer. And so from there I was able yeah. to kind of, you know, build up, uh, started working with, uh, my first production partner was a uh, dude named Phil who's still friends with still work with today. Um, and we kind of started working with a lot of the local artists here in the Bay. So people like, you know, messy Marv and keep the sneak and, uh, uh, you know, people, uh, Mr. Fab, like a bunch of artists were like, if you're here from the Bay, you're like, oh yeah, I know those guys. If not, you might mm-hmm. not. Um, but at the time I was excited. I was like, damn, we're on. Like, like mess is like my favorite rapper. Like, damn, we got yeah. placements with Messi Marv. Like, that's crazy. We had songs on the radio out here. And um, so that was like a really exciting time. That was back in like, <laughs> you know, starting 05, 06, 07. Um, and that was yeah. when. It, it was sort so of would like, you say, 
sorry, would you say around that time is like when you started to get a name, I guess, in your region and people started to know who you were, like that you're working with these local artists and that? Definitely, definitely. As far as here, mm-hmm. here in the Bay, we definitely started, you know, getting a getting a, a name that, uh, you know, people knew who we were out here. And so, yeah. so it was fun. It was like we were, you know, we're playing the game, we're climbing, climbing up the ladder a little bit. And, um, but what sort of altered to kind of speed it up a little bit, um, you know, kept kind of trying to play that game and trying to work my way up and, and work with, you know, some artists on labels and stuff like that. Um, mm-hmm. but after over 10 years of that, I realized like I had a couple cool highlights, but I was broke. I was not looking at, I was realizing like, wait a second, I'm about to be 30 years old. Like I got to start making some decisions. Like, is this, is this how I'm going to live, you know, the next 10, 20 years of my life is, you know, a yeah. producer. Um, and so I was pretty much going to quit at that point. I was like, I, I can't do this. Like I gotta, I gotta do something else, you know? Um, yeah. That, that's interesting. Even with all those, those placements and that you still wasn't, I guess at the place where you wanted to be financially. Yeah. And it's, uh, bro, it's so common. I mean, I, I assume you've probably talked to people as well, where it's like, you know, people have a, a big placement or multiple placements and maybe, mm-hmm. they made, you know, cool little, cool little check once or whatever, or, or even not. Um, but, you know, still are not making a living from, from their music. Um, unfortunately is very, very common. And so that, that was the position that I was in. Um, mm-hmm. And, and not to mention, like, I was, I was not feeling that good about myself. You know what I mean? I was, I was uh, about to be 30 years old. I was still living at my dad's house. I was not proud of what I was doing. I was like, mm-hmm. like, it, like, if I go to, if I, I meet up with like friends that I used to go to high school with or um, a family event or something. And I remember people like, oh, what are you up to? And I, I hated that conversation because it was like, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, they're like, oh, you're still trying that music thing. Oh, that's cute. You know, whatever. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, it, yeah, for real. I, I wasn't proud of where I was at. I hated talking about it because I felt like, you know, I felt like a bum. I was like, you know, um, so with all of that, I was like, yeah, it's time to, it's time to move on. It's, mm-hmm. else. Um, and then it was almost, almost like a last ditch effort. Like maybe I can try selling beats online because it was something I hadn't, okay. I personally hadn't done. Obviously people have been doing it for a long time before that. Yeah. Um, but I was like, all right, maybe I can like just pay my bills, you know, by selling beats online. And so started, started that, um, and, uh, didn't have a ton of success, you know, did it kind of the way that everybody else did it of trying to get some views mm-hmm. on, you know, on YouTube or get some followers or whatever, try to send them over to a beat store, you know, at first. Yeah. Sound so you was playing like the whole YouTube type beat game, I guess then. Yep. Exactly. Back then. And, and even before that, you know, on SoundClick, the same type of thing. Um, and you know, I got a couple sales here or there and it was cool, mm-hmm. but it was like, it was still not like the answer. It was not the thing that was going to, um, pay the bills for me. It was not going to be the thing that was going to allow me to continue to do music for a living. Um, and so I was, I was getting discouraged again, but I was kind of just checking, checking things out. And I started, yeah. I started like seeing like, okay, well, what are, what are other producers doing that are doing well? And so I started studying and I was just like, okay, what, what are all, and pretty much all of them were doing like the exact same thing, but I was like, all right, maybe I can get a little tip or trick here or there, something that'll give me a, a little more traffic or a couple more people to see my beat, something like that. Um, and then eventually I came across um, Anno Domini, who's now, you know, a close friend of mine, but at the yeah. time, I, you know, I didn't know who he was, um, but I remember I was like scrolling through Facebook. I saw, I saw an ad or a post that he had, I clicked on it. And I remember just like seeing the whole, the way the page was laid out, the way he was telling his story, what he was offering. I was like, this is completely different than anything I've mm-hmm. ever seen. 
And uh, so I didn't realize it at the time, but essentially what he was using was these uh, techniques using like sales funnels and direct response marketing and, you know, all this advanced stuff that nobody else was doing that I saw in our industry of selling beats online. I was like, damn, this is crazy. And so I started studying what he was doing and kind of trying to copy him from a distance, like, okay, this guy knows <laughs> what he's doing. And, and that, yeah. you know, and then started learning from, you know, one of his mentors is, is a dude named Russell Brunson. And then I started learning from Russell and started, you know, um, going to some of his conferences and his coaching programs and stuff like that and starting to really dive in. And um, it was interesting. It was, there was a shift that happened for me from um, sort of this feeling of like, the marketing side of things, the business side of things being something that I hated doing. And I thought was like just this necessary evil, but I could just kind of like mm -hmm. past it to once. Yeah. I Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In fact, I feel like speaking with a lot of producers, they feel almost like a bit guilty for marketing or putting themselves out there in a way that's trying to sell too much. Like, I don't know why, but sales is, is seen as like a very forbidden thing to do. Like, it seems like it's a, I don't think it's, um, what you call it, like disingenuine, but people just feel very weird about selling their own stuff, if that makes sense. Definitely. And that's why I think a lot of producers just neglect it and try and stick to the art as much as possible. No, no, I agree completely. I think there's, I think there's a couple layers to it. I think one thing yeah. is just that, you know, they don't like it because it's, you know, we're, we're like, well, we got to just we want to make music, not because we want to create marketing campaigns. I think another mm -hmm. level of it is, like you said, maybe, maybe people feel weird about, you know, if I'm promoting something, if I'm marketing something, then it's like, it's almost like I'm, I'm talking about myself, which seems weird. Um, but I think that there's a little bit of a deeper um, problem that I've seen that, that I used to have too, which was like, this mindset that essentially at its core, the mindset is that money is evil. And nobody, mm. nobody thinks that they think that, right? Nobody will say pretty much, right? Maybe some people, for the most part, people think, no, 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 I don't think that. But their actions, the things that they say, the things that they do, they actually do think that. And especially in music, especially in the arts, there's like uh, this often, this perception that if you do anything to make money, you are now doing something that's unethical. You're doing something that's yeah. out of integrity. You are, um, you know, doing things for the wrong reasons. And mm -hmm. it's so common to see this. Like, I feel like so many, so many music producers, so many people in the arts and, and maybe just in the world, you know, feel that way. And uh, to me, it's, 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 uh, it's unfortunate because the way that I have been able to continue to do what I love for a living, the way that I've been able to have, you know, a, what I would say is a pretty big impact in this world is mm -hmm. embracing that side of it is understanding business and marketing and how you can leverage those things yeah. in a positive way to get your music, to get your message in front of more people, to help people. Um, when you look at it that way, when you can, you know, embrace it that way, now all mm -hmm. of a sudden it opens up these possibilities. But if in the back of your mind, you think money is evil, then you're never mm -hmm. going to get any money. Right. And so it's did like you ever have that in the beginning where you felt, like you shouldn't be marketing in a certain way or trying to push your name out there like that. I think I did um, more mm -hmm. like I can think of myself more from the like, let's say consumer perspective where I used to always feel like I was smarter than, than everybody. Where it's like, okay, if some like I can tell somebody's trying to sell me something. So therefore just because I know they're selling me something, I'm, I'm going to be smarter than them and I'm definitely not going to listen to them or buy what they're yeah. saying, right? Because I'm smarter than them, right? But it turns out I was a fucking idiot because I was <laughs> passing up. I was missing all these opportunities 
because I was too skeptical, right? And that's, mm -hmm. that, it's like, it's like you think you're really smart, but you're actually dumb, right? And that's, and that's how I used yeah, to be. Yeah, it's like you just don't know what's good for yourself. Yeah. You're just getting in your own way in a way. And that's how I used to feel. And so I understand that where it's like, um, it, of just having that perspective. But as mm -hmm. I started learning more about the process of, hey, wait a second, if I have uh, a product or a service or a entertainment or music or something that's, that's helping people, that people love, um, then, and I have a way to get it in front of them and, and help them to, to, you know, realize that and to help them, like, I should do everything in my power in order to do that, right? If I, mm -hmm. if I know that I have, um, you know, a system and tools uh, that I can teach to music producers that they can actually make a living from their music for the first time that haven't, then it would actually, it would actually be unethical of me not to do everything I can to help as many producers do that, right? So yeah. it's like a shift in mindset of like, oh, wait a second, actually, like the other thing that that would be messed up. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's but, like keeping all the secrets and information to yourself, which doesn't really do anybody good in exactly. a long term, I guess. Yeah, exactly. it's the same for your music. If you feel like your music is something that makes people feel good or creates opportunities or whatever it is, then it's it's your moral obligation to to get that out to people. And guess what? Like if you just you know, like in some kind of ideal world, maybe you just put your music out, you just post it up on wherever SoundCloud and then a million people hear it and love it, you know, that, mm. that would be great, but it's just not the reality. And so if you do want your music to get in front of people, if you do have a message that you want people to hear, like you, you need to learn how to use these, you know, the marketing and psychology and, and all these tools um, in order to, to actually get that message out there, to get that music in front of people. It's just the reality. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when when you started getting into more of like the marketing and using click funnels and that, would you say it was like an immediate shift where all of a sudden things just started working for you, or was it still kind of gradual, like selling on click funnel? Uh, sorry, selling on SoundClick and YouTube and that. Yeah, it's uh, a little bit of both. Like it definitely, you know, the success. Uh, uh, very grateful that it was, um, um, you know, that I was able to make progress fairly quickly. Um, mm -hmm. And at the same time, I'm always learning. I'm always progressing. So it's like, it's an ongoing process anyways. But yeah, um, but yeah I guess, I guess for me, it was like, okay, um, to, to kind of, you know, bring it back to the story. And it's like, okay, I started trying to sell these the same way everybody else did. I kind of saw what Anno Domini was doing. I learned from Russell Brunson. Um, mm -hmm. And then I was like, oh my God, there's this whole nother world of marketing, of entrepreneurship, that a whole nother way to give more value to my customers, to rappers and singers, where they are going to, you know, accomplish more, they're going to get more done. And there's more value to me, like they're, I'm going to make more money, and it's going to create all these opportunities. And um, so, you know, just a few of the things that I learned was the idea of, you know, creating a true offer, instead of selling a commodity. So like, if you're selling a beat, mm -hmm. lease, the thing is, like, there's literally millions of producers that are selling beats online like literally millions um there's yeah. well over a million on just one of the popular beat selling platforms um so if you are selling a beat lease then you're selling something that you know thousands tens of thousands hundreds of thousands millions of other people are also selling the exact same thing right and i get it like you know we all feel like our beats are like our babies they're unique they're they're incredible but um, the reality is there's, there's a lot of producers out there and maybe some of them are not that great, but there's some dope producers out there. So you have to think of yourself as part of that economy, part of that marketplace. Like there's your potential customer, that rapper or singer can go 
anywhere and get those beats, right? So how do you compete? Well, you don't really, right? The only ones that are winning competing with that old model are the ones that are winning on convenience because they're the ones that happen to show up, right? If you can rank for, you know, Drake type beat on, on YouTube and you, and you pop up every time, right? And you can mm-hmm. get, you know, half a million, a million views or whatever. And then you're sending people to your beat store. Like, even though it's a terrible system, just by sheer numbers and just by you being the most convenient one that happens to pop up when these rappers are looking, like you can make yeah. a living. Um, but if you can't, if you're not consistently getting a million views on your YouTube videos, like to create a six figure or seven figure business from, from your, from your beats is just like, it, it's, it's not possible. Um, mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I realized. And so I started applying all these principles, stuff like creating a true offer. So now it's like, okay, well, yeah, not just beat leases, but what are some of the other problems? What's a higher level of problem that I can solve for my potential customers? So like, okay, they're, they're getting a beat for me. Awesome. It, it, it's going to sound good. They're, they're going to, you know, have, have some good production, but what else do they need? I don't know. Well, maybe they recorded it, but now it sounds bad. So, so maybe we can offer mixing and mastering. Okay, cool. Now we're offering another level of uh, you know, we're solving a higher level of problem. Maybe, maybe now they made their song. Maybe now they need uh, graphic design. They need artwork, right? Okay, cool. Maybe we can mm-hmm. give that to them. Maybe uh, they need to be able to connect with, you know, DJs and managers and whatever. Okay, we, let's create a community. Let's create a place where they can do that. You know, maybe uh, they want to know how to get their music out there in front of more people so we can provide um, services or information that teaches them how to do that, right? We can go on and on. Yeah. Of like, how can we create a um, you know, a bundle of products and services that's actually going to get them a result. So now all of a sudden, like, I don't need to compete with those guys who get a million views on YouTube that are just selling a beat lease because all they're selling is a beat lease, right? They're going to come to me because they're like, damn, when I work with Gabe, like I get this full package of all these things. Um, so that mm, was just one. So of you get, the, I guess you're like the, the one, the one-stop shop for an artist. They come to you because I guess in a way you're just solving all their problems. So they don't need to go anywhere else. Yeah, exactly. Or at least, mm-hmm. at the very least, I'm solving a lot more problems than the next guy, right? Um, yeah. And so that that alone just makes just makes a huge difference. And then there's you know there's so many different different things. Like I can geek out on marketing stuff all day, and um, you know other stuff. But that that's just one example of something that I realized that almost nobody else was doing. That mm-hmm. I learned from you know Anno Domini and Russell, and, and then started applying. And then that's when things really started to take off. And when we were able to do you know stuff like we did the first six figure launch in our industry, which was crazy. You know, our goal was like, you know, is this possible? Can we do over a hundred thousand dollars in sales in a week? Um, you know, we yeah. ended up doing $200,000 in sales in one week, over $200,000 in sales in one week. Selling beats nice. online, which is like yeah. nuts. You know what I mean? And it showed to me like, damn, like even I, like, I wasn't sure if that was possible, but it mm-hmm. helped me realize that the ceiling of what I thought was possible, the ceiling of what I think most people thought was possible in this weird little job of, being a music producer who sells beats is so much higher. And so that's what I, that's what gets me excited now is like, how can I help um, to raise that bar and how can I help other producers, you know, do that as well? Yeah. So can you talk us to us about um, how you was able to basically execute that 200 K launch week? Like what, what, what was that all about? How did you pull that off? Yeah. So there's, there's, as you can imagine, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, yeah. So one of the things is what I already talked about is creating an irresistible offer, right? Um, mm-hmm. And really where that starts from is getting really clear about who your ideal customer, your dream client is. And the reality is like my ideal client is different than yours. It's different than, than this other producer because 
yes, for all of us, it's probably a rapper or a singer, and chances are they're probably in around the same age range or whatever. Um, mm -hmm. But really getting specific gives you a lot of clarity. So, for example, like um, even just the way that things are worded on – so when we did that launch, the way that things are worded on that page, the emails that go out, the videos that are on there, um, the yeah. way that I'm speaking – is I'm very focused on who is that dream customer. We call it a customer avatar, right? So I've gotten mm -hmm. so I, so I've I've gotten a very clear profile of that customer avatar. And the way that you do that is essentially you just sit down and you start thinking through. Well, who do I want to serve? Who who is that person that I can get results for and want to get results for? And then start thinking. You know, start basic. Yeah, sure. You know, where where might they be located? What what age are they, you know, male or female, what's some of their background, but then get deeper into, you know, what are their, what are their fears? What are their motivations? Um, where, you know, who are some of the influencers that they follow? What are, what are some of their favorite movies and TV and, and, and books and, you know, all this kind of stuff and really get a clear profile of, of this one person, this one very specific person that you're, that you're making up, by the way, you're, you know, this is, you're envisioning this person. And once yeah. you've done that, what it does is it allows you to now cater everything to that person. And so every other decision becomes a lot easier. So like, if you think about even the way that you speak, right, the way that I'm speaking right now to you mm -hmm. is a little bit different than the way that I'm speaking, you know, that I'll speak to my friend later or, you know, in, you know, in different contexts and different people, you speak in different ways. And a lot of times what happens is we as producers, we've got businesses where we're speaking to people, right? We're hopping on YouTube, we're sending out emails. And so we're talking to like the masses at once, right? We don't know who we're talking to. And so yeah. what happens is it becomes your, your uh, voice becomes very like, um, what's the word? Like not, uh, it becomes very vague and neutral and uninteresting because it's almost like in the back of mind, you're thinking, well, I'm kind of talking to this person I'm, I'm like kind of thinking well my mom might read this too and this but right so it's like mm -hmm. you're like talking very generally but when you get really clear about who that person is now you can speak directly to that person and now all of a sudden you're not worried about if you're offending these other people or, or whatever like that person is going to be so connecting with what you're saying because you are speaking directly to them so that's like the first okay episode. yeah does that make sense yeah yeah I guess that's, that's like niching down specifically on one, one thing, one person, and just, yeah, speaking their language basically. Yes, exactly. Speaking their language, and then and then from there, now it's like, okay, now I understand who this person is. What are their goals? What are they trying to accomplish? Mm -hmm. Now, how how can I help them accomplish that goal? Right now, it becomes now that irresistible offer we were talking about. Now you can really cater it to that person and say, okay, well, this is what's important to that person. Let me create an offer that's going to be irresistible to them. That's going to help them accomplish the things that they want to accomplish. And now, and now Ooh. we can put together that package of like, okay, cool. They're going to want some beats. Sure. But they're also going to want this. They're also going to, maybe they want, you know, it's somebody who, uh, you know, wants to get some exposure and, and, and whatever. So I'm going to give them a shout out on Instagram. Maybe it's somebody who, you know, it, you know, the, the quality is really important. So I'm going to do this, this, and this, like you can't do that until you have like, real clarity about who you want to serve and exactly the result you want to get them then you can yeah. start putting that offer together then you can start putting your messaging together in a way that's really clear to them so i mean i could keep going but those are just just as far as you asked about that launch i mean that's just like the foundation of the first two steps before we put that offer together before we wrote all of the emails and posts and sequences and 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 uh sales pages and all that stuff that went into that that was the those were the first two steps it's like okay who is that customer and what yeah. we want to get them now is create an incredible offer and let's create a story 
um, that's, that's going to show them the value of what we're doing. You know, I could keep going, but that's, that, that's the first two steps. Please. Okay. Yeah. So let's say I'm a beginner producer. I mean, I've been making beats for a while, been sending on YouTube, not really getting great results. I sell here, I sell there. What is some advice that you would give to that producer who is trying to, I guess, make a living from selling beats and really start to ramp things up? What's like one core thing you would say, or even maybe not even just one core thing, but some stuff that they should look into and start implementing in their own beat selling business? Yeah, so, you know, the, the, the format, the model that 99% of producers follow is you put up a beat on, you know, YouTube, wherever, mm-hmm. and, you, and then you hope and pray that you get some views, you try to do some keyword research or something, and then you send that traffic to your beat store, right? That's just the model that, that everybody yeah. has. Um, so, uh, you know, I can go deep into the, all the issues with that and, and what, what the new model is, but that's a little bit outside of the scope of, of, of what we have time for right now. Um, but just, mm-hmm. but, but I'm giving pieces of it. And, and the first one that I would mention there is like, um, when you are getting traffic and traffic just means you're getting attention, right? You're, you're getting the, the eyeballs of your, of your customers and your potential clients. Um, when you're getting traffic on social media, when you're getting traffic on YouTube, on Instagram, you're getting followers, you're getting subscribers, you're getting people to see, um, you know, whatever you're posting, that that's a good thing, right? It's, it's, uh, it's a great way. Cause that's where they, that's where they're hanging out, right? Your potential clients and customers, they're hanging out on those platforms. It's a great place to find them. But the mistake that so many of us make is that we think that the end game is to acquire more of that audience on that platform. That if we just have enough subscribers, we just have enough followers, we just have enough likes, we just have enough comments, then we're going to be successful. Uh-huh. But the reality is those likes, those comments, those subscribers, those followers, those views, that traffic, you don't own. You're borrowing that traffic. If it's on Instagram or Facebook, that traffic belongs to Mark Zuckerberg. If it's on YouTube or Google, it's Larry and Sergey. Those guys own Google. That's not your traffic. And the way that social media platforms work is they're, they're always evolving. They always change the rules, right? It's, it's fine. It's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just the reality. It's just, hey, if you were on Facebook five years ago, you could just post something up and you'd get thousands yeah. of likes and shares and people would Yeah, these your... days, it's basically the Facebook page is like almost dead. You post something, you're not really going to see that much reach unless you're going to pay for it. Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. The organic reach on Facebook, it's, it's dead. It's zero, right? Now, mm-hmm. it happens to be the best paid platform on the planet. So it's just evolved into something else. So as long as you understand, you know, the, the life cycle of the different social media platforms, you know how to leverage them in different, you know, at the different times, then it's fine. It's not a bad thing. But you're always going to be at the mercy of the owner of that platform. So if you've, you've spent yeah. all this time and energy and effort and money and focus and creativity to grow a huge following on Facebook, and now all of a sudden it goes from organic to pay to play basically overnight, then you're like, oh, damn, I'm screwed, right? Um, but the whole point of traffic, of getting that traffic on those social media platforms is to convert that traffic from traffic that you're borrowing into traffic that you own. And the difference is, Uh, right? And so the difference is traffic that you own is traffic that you can reach whenever you want. It's not dependent on anybody else's platform, right? It's not dependent. I don't, I don't need to hit up Mark Zuckerberg and ask, Hey, can I, can I reach these people? I'll give you some money, like whatever. You know what I mean? Right. I don't need to, I don't need to do that. If I have somebody's email address or their phone number, I can reach out to them at any time 
whenever I want. I can build that relationship with them. I can give them offers. I can give them value. Um, and I don't need to worry about the rules changing on, on those social media platforms. So the end goal of all of those platforms, of all of those, all of that traffic, which is so valuable, views, subscribers, all, it's awesome. But the point is not that. The point is to convert that into traffic you own. So how do you take that traffic that's there and turn it into traffic you own? How do you get them onto your email list or how do you get their phone number? That's it. That's literally the entire goal of traffic that you don't own. Um, and a lot of times we get confused like, oh, I, I'm, I, as long as I get enough likes or comments or followers or shares or subscribers, you know, then, then I'll be good. But it's like, that, yeah. that's, that's, that's not really the, uh, the game. So now, so, so, you know, you ask like somebody who's starting out there, that's, they're, they're following that old model. So now just, just that one shift of saying, okay, instead of me focusing on trying to get as many views as possible or whatever, like I'm going to focus mm -hmm. on growing my list. Right. And maybe one of the ways that you do that is by getting views on YouTube and then, and then bringing them onto your list. Mm. Once you do that, now you can build that relationship with those people. Now you can, um, you know, that, that asset of your list is like the most valuable asset in any business. I mean, just, just one example, this was years ago, but, um, uh, Skype, uh, they were like, you know, one of the first, um, businesses that, that really had like the, the internet, you know, phone calls. Right. Yeah. And, um, it was, I want to say Microsoft who bought it. Somebody bought it. Right. Um, and they bought it for over a billion dollars. Now here's, what's interesting is Microsoft has, you know, some of the best software developers in the world. Like they could knock off the Skype code in a day, right? They could build that technology. It's not hard, but mm -hmm. the value of Skype was the list, right? They owned those, the customers were already on that list. That's what they bought yeah. for a billion dollars. Not the technology. Who cares about it? It's easy, right? Um, so that's the value of a list, right? One more example of that is, um, you know, I've been building my list for Legion Beats for, for years now, right? And we're, we've got a mm -hmm. good sized list now. We're, you know, well over a hundred thousand you know, emails on, on that list. Um, and so now, you know, I can do stuff where like, for example, my buddy, Anno Domini, who I mentioned earlier, um, you know, he, uh, he, he had a baby a little while ago and he did a beat pack as a celebration for like, Hey, I'm having a baby. Come buy this beat pack. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, uh, which I thought was pretty cool. And so, um, he, so I was an affiliate for that, meaning, um, essentially he gave me a specific link that has some tracking and then I share that link with my audience. I say, Hey, check it out. Like, this is a great deal. You guys are going to love these beats. Um, you know, go check it out. They click over, they go by, um, I get some of the money, Adrian get, you know, AD get some of the money. They get a great deal. It's win, win, win. Right. Yeah. That, that was like a very quick summary of affiliate marketing. We can come back to that <laughs> about it. But my point is, um, I literally sent out two emails over the course of, I think three days. And we, we did $6,000 in revenue. And now in that case, I didn't have to create those beats. I didn't have to do anything. I just literally let my list that I'd been acquiring know, hey, here's this awesome thing. Yeah. Bam, $6,000 in my pocket, right? But it was mm. because I grew that list, right? Um, so just I just wanted to share those as two examples of the power of that list when you shift your focus. Yeah, it's like, it's basically like just having an audience on demand where you can just hit them up, promote if you want to promote, you know, get sell your products or I guess in this case, sell your beats. You're just always going to have that there. Exactly. exactly. I did hear a, sim a similar story as well. I think um, LinkedIn brought Linda for basically the same reason, just to get that customer list of, of um, people who were signed up to Linda. 
happens all the time. Facebook bot, Instagram. Yeah. You think you think Facebook couldn't figure out how to have you scroll through pictures? Like, mm, <laughs> no, yeah. it's because the user base, right? That's where they bought it. You know, that's, yeah, that's sure. why uh, that's why Zuckerberg wanted to buy Snapchat. Like, do you think they could copy the technology? I think we both know the answer. They literally did, right? Because yeah. ultimately, Snapchat didn't want to sell. But they're like, oh, okay, we still, you know, we can still copy the technology. That's fine. That's easy. What they really wanted was the list, but the technology was cool too. So they added in Instagram Stories. So yeah, exactly. they they didn't offer them billions of dollars for the software because they they knocked it off in like a couple of days. They're like, yeah, of course we can build this easy. Mm-hmm. So talk with with all that being said about beat traffic and turning it into emails and building your list and that, you have a book out, Beat Traffic Blueprint, which is behind you as well. <laughs> and um, so I guess it's, in a nutshell, producers came together and shared their best beat traffic secrets. But um, yeah, if you want to talk a bit more about that, like exactly how that all came together and everything. Yeah, no, I was really excited about it. So basically, um, what this was, uh, it just kind of started as as just like, you know, who knows how this will go. Um, mm-hmm. I originally got sort of the the concept from Cymatics, um, uh, from from, uh, from Stephen from Drew over there. They they had done a book uh, about a year ago, or I don't know how long ago now. Um, they asked me to contribute to it. Um, and it was talking about music production and stuff like that. I thought it was really cool how they did it. They just, you know, they reached out to some of the top uh, producers, you know, yeah. had them contribute a chapter, and they put it together in, in an ebook. I thought it was pretty cool. And so basically just stole their idea. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, you know, Stephen's friends with friend, – he's actually in the book as well. It's, he's he's fine with it. Uh, mm-hmm. But stole the idea. I was like, oh, that would be cool. We do a little ebook and, um, you know, be some extra value that we can – that, you know, I think a lot of people will be interested in. And so reached out to, you know – reach out to you, reach out to uh, Curtis King, um, Cymatics, to BusyWorks Beats, um, uh, who else? Cato, you know, Lario, Simon Servita, you know, just, just a everyone. Ton of, yeah, everyone, basically yeah, everyone. everyone all, yeah. all the top, you know, producer influencers that, that, uh, that I could think of. And um, mm-hmm. super grateful that, that basically everybody said yes. And so we kind of put it together. We called it the Beat Traffic Blueprint. Um, and, um, yeah, it's just something that came out really great. We did, we made, we did create a couple physical copies. Um, at the moment we're not, we're not necessarily selling those or anything, but you can actually, if anybody's interested, um, they can go grab a free copy of that. Um, it's part of, so I mentioned earlier, Russell Brunton is one of my mentors and he came out with a book called traffic secrets. Um, and, and just to talk about him for a second, like, his his books have literally changed my life. Like they they are the foundation of like even most of the stuff that I've talked about today is something that I probably learned from Russell, honestly. Like, um, and so when I found out he was coming out with Traffic Secrets, which was his his uh, his third book, um, I got really excited. I was like, this is something that producers need to read. Like I already know, you know, his last books were like absolute game changers. And so what we decided to do was essentially make it. Hey, if you go. Um, uh, you know, if you go and get Traffic Secrets through a special page, we'll give you the link in a second. Then we'll actually give you a copy of Beat Traffic Blueprint for free. Um, you also okay, get a bunch yeah. of other super dope bonuses. We've got, um, you know, there's a panel from a mastermind. We did a, like an in-person event with our MIDI Money group uh, in Nashville earlier this year. And we had, you know, Wishmaster Beats there. We had BusyWorks Beats. We had uh, Billy from uh, Big Shot Beats. We had Dylan from mm-hmm. Producer Grind on the panel. We had uh, Rick Barker, who's 
the manager who launched the career of Taylor Swift. Um, all these guys did a panel as part of that, uh, part of that mastermind. It was super dope, by the way. We had um, uh, Anno Domini bought uh, these two side-by-side houses in Nashville. They're kind of like the, the midi money houses. And so we had producers stay out there. And I had about 15 producers and just had like two days of like this incredible event of learning and teaching. Yeah, um, sounds one like of the vibe. things, one of my favorite parts of that whole thing was this, uh, this panel for, with those people I just mentioned. So another bonus you get is the recordings of, of that panel. There's a bunch of other dope mm-hmm. stuff that you get for free. Um, but that's at, if you go to book.midimoney.com slash ocean, um, you can go grab, grab all that. If you want to just, even if cool, you want to yeah. just go check it out, um, you don't have to buy it or whatever, but you can just take a look at what we have. Um, there's, there's some cool stuff over there. So yeah. I'm, I'm going to leave a link in the, in the description. If you want to go grab that as well, um, on YouTube, on Spotify, wherever I'm going to leave a link. But, um, yeah. So aside from like this, all the marketing and stuff, cause I know you're like the, probably like the head market in, in Legion beats. Do you ever sit down and make beats still? Or is that kind of something of the past now? Yeah, it's something that, you know, it's been it's been less and less. Uh, for a long mm-hmm. time, I was doing, I was making beats once a week. And I was just, you know, making sure that I put that time in because I still love doing it. Like, it's something that's fun. Yeah. I, I genuinely love the business side of things. I genuinely love marketing and entrepreneurship. And that's that's one of the, the messages and one of the things that I feel like is uh, my role and that I love to get across. And when I talk to producers and they're like, man, I used to hate this stuff, but you've helped shift my mindset and show me that this stuff is actually really fun. Like to me, that's, that's, that's something that I love to hear. And that that's the case for me. So, so, so mm-hmm. I, so I, I, I can do what I want, <laughs> you know what I mean? But I end up spending I, that's, more that's time. That's perfect. <laughs> I end up spending more dream. time for sure on the marketing and entrepreneurship. Um, mm-hmm. So, so for a while I was doing once a week, you know, making sure that I had that scheduled out, you know, a time to, to yeah. eat. Honestly, the last couple months with all the, the craziness, I, ha- I basically haven't made a beat in, in, in I don't know, a while. Um, yeah. So, because my whole schedule has kind of been off and things are different. And um, so I'll, I'll get back on it. But my my normal before, you know, the, the quarantine and all that kind of stuff was, you know, at least once a week getting in there, you know, a few hours just making beats. Not uh, at this point, it's not a business decision because it's, uh, you know, I can do a lot more to advance my business, you know, doing other things, but it's, it's just something I like doing. So, so I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll get back on track with it for sure. So in, in Legion beats then, is there like a, a, a team of producers that come together and make the beats? Um, or is it yeah. just stuff that you stockpiled from the past? So it's a combination. So, uh, usually like if you look at a beat and it says produced by Legion beats, that means it was mm-hmm. most likely me and my buddy, Nate, who, uh, you know, usually when I make beats, I make beats with Nate. Um, mm-hmm. then we also have a team of producers. Some of them are, are, you know, our in-house ones. Like you might've seen Kevin walking around earlier with a camera. Uh, he's a producer. So, you know, sometimes his beats go up or, um, we've got Kyle on our team. Um, we've also got, you know, I've, I mentioned in the beginning, uh, Phil was the first dude I ever started making beats with back in 2005, you know, and we're still close friends. And so he'll send in beats. Um, yeah. So we do have a team of producers now that are both people that, you know, uh, are more sort of internal people that I've been working with for a long time. Um, and a couple, you know, newer ones as well to where it's become uh, sort of a combination of, of sort of in-house and then also, you know, other producers as well so that we, you know, we're making sure that 
on the Legion Beat side, you know, that we are serving those customers, that we are, you know, giving them fresh beats, even if I'm not getting in the studio as often as I used mm-hmm. to, um, we're still, we're still giving them, uh, you know, consistently giving them new beats. Yeah. Got you. I remember one time I was, this was probably about a year ago now, maybe even longer than that, where I was first like starting to see you pop up with the funnels and that. And I was trying to funnel hack back in the day, like looking through your stuff and that. I remember seeing that you used to do, um, like you have your own studio and people could come by and and actually work with you in person. Is that something that you still do? Do you still do like studio sessions? Is that something that's key in your beat selling business or not too much? Um, I mean, very recently, no. Like we, you know, we pretty mm-hmm. much shut that down. But it it's definitely been a huge part of my business for the last, you know, 10 plus years, um, especially in some of those years where it was, you know, not doing, not making so much money from, uh, from the production. I was still doing sessions consistently. Um, Mm. so, so it's been, it's been off and on a big part of my business. Um, uh, so we, we still have a studio, you know, I'm here, uh, at the studio, this is studio. We have one studio here. We have another studio kind of across the way. Um, you know, just across the hall right here. And then usually a lot of times if you see me on video, I'm actually right above, I'm upstairs right here in, in, in my little office upstairs. So um, we were able to build this out um, just over a year ago, which is pretty exciting. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's still, it's still a part of what we do. It's less now about bringing in, you know, at one point we were like, you know, every hour, basically, you know, we had a, a booked, um, you know, we were, that was a big part of our business model was just being a recording studio, yeah. we were just booking out hourly. And, you know, we've got a few engineers and, you know, sometimes it was me, although less and less, less and less me these days. Um, so it's become, become less and less of the business model, but it's, it's something that, uh, again, occasionally I do actually really like to do. There's something fun about it. So, um, it's, mm-hmm. it's probably something that I'll, 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 I'll personally cycle back around to. Uh, and certainly the other engineers, um, that I've got here will, um, will, will, will start back doing sessions pretty soon here. I feel you. But I think it's so, cool. like it's it's nice to uh, I think it's another thing that's given me a little bit of a different perspective than a lot of producers, mm-hmm. which is that I've just spent so many hours, days, weeks um in the room with so many different rappers that I think, you know, most producers just by the nature of it don't because, you know, if I was starting today, I wouldn't have that. I'd probably be like, Yeah, I'm just gonna make beats in my in my room and I'm gonna learn the marketing yeah. stuff and I'm just gonna do that, right? Um, which I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with, but there is something cool about, you know, learning, really getting to know who, who, uh, you know, who are you, who is your, you know, I talk about customer avatar, like who is that person? Like what, what really uh, are they motivated by? What do they actually really like? What is their process? And so it is fun to be able to see that. So I would recommend to anybody, even if you don't want to open up a studio and be an engineer and all that kind of stuff, like, you know, try to get down to some sessions, even purely just to, just to get a better sense of like, who are these people that I'm, that I'm serving? And then, you know, how can I, how can I actually serve them better? Yeah, for sure. Definitely. What's, I want to ask you about your experience with, with using Mm -hmm. stuff. What's, what's that been like? Um, so honestly, yeah, even before, so before I was actually doing YouTube and making beats and that, I was actually like quite heavy into Facebook ads and click funnels and that. There was a point in time where I used to be, I used to do sales funnels for clients. And then uh, at one point I was basically like the ghost funnel maker, however you want to call it, behind someone who was selling the sales funnels 
sort of like all these other people now. And I'll just basically be the guy building and designing funnels. But honestly, not it's not until I saw your stuff that I even thought about doing it for beats. It was just never something that I thought would be possible. Just from the type of clients I used to build funnels for, it was always more about them selling a course or them selling some sort of coaching. I never thought that you could apply it to beat selling and actually like put the value ladder and all that kind of stuff into place. But yeah, I've been, I've been doing it so far right now. And honestly, it's just, it's, it's really good because just in terms of like conversion rate, it's way higher because of how it's set up. You go to a page where you offer something, it's either a yes or no, there isn't, you know, tons of options that overwhelms people, if that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely. But yeah, honestly, I think it was like seeing your all your stuff, it made me have like that, oh, it's possible, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, that's awesome. I, I, I love to hear that. That is, uh, you know, another version of it that I have heard. Um, usually what I hear is like, oh, I just, I never even heard about this stuff. I thought I hated it. Now I like it. But I have heard a couple of people like, oh yeah, I, I knew about funnels. I kind of, you know, learned some direct response marketing and some you know, I just hadn't mm-hmm. seen it done, you know, in this context. And so it's fun to, to be able to, to, to bring that in and, and show that it can work there too, because when it does, it's like, man, it, it, it makes a big difference. For sure. Yeah. Um, so what, what would you say is like, I know this might sound like a corny kind of cliche question, but what, what, what's your goal? What's your, what are you trying to take Legion beats and MIDI money in like the next five years, let's say? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I do have trouble with that, like those kind of time periods. Because I'll let mm-hmm. me tell you, like five years ago, if you asked me that question, I would have never imagined the possibility that I'd be in the position that I'm in today. Just never. I feel you. Yeah. Anywhere near on my radar. You know, I was, I was talking earlier about how you know I used to hate talking about what I was doing because I was embarrassed. Like that was that was five years ago. <laughs> you know what I mm-hmm. mean? So at that point. If you asked, I probably would have been like, man, if I can, if I can figure this thing out to where I can, you know, make a thousand bucks a month and, and, and cover my bills doing it, like that's, that's where I'd like to be. That's probably the answer I, I would have given you, you know what I mean? And now, you know, not to mention like for me, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I'm a real introvert. I deal with anxiety, social anxiety, stuff like that. And so, um, you know, I'm somebody who is not used to, uh, I shouldn't say not used to, I'm, I'm, I was never the type of person to, to talk, certainly never the type of person to be on camera, uh, not mm-hmm. the type of person to do any of this kind of stuff. Right. So, so yeah. And, and now like, I don't know, I'm, I've been probably talking too much, but it's, you know, we've been on here for about an hour. Um, you know, and now it's like, I, I seek out those opportunities to, to teach and, and, and hopefully inspire other people. You know, I, I got a chance to, um, speak on stage in front of 5,000 people, a few months ago at a, a event called funnel hacking live, um, mm. you know, stuff like where for me, that, that would have never been anywhere near a, a possibility for me five years ago. Like I wouldn't have even yeah. considered that I would want to do that, let alone that it might be a possibility. So uh, I guess this is my way of getting out of answering. Cause I don't know. I feel like I'll, I'll <laughs> I, I just, I can't imagine, you know, um, I can mm-hmm. tell you just, you know, generally speaking that I feel so grateful that I've kind of found this, you know, two things that I really love. There's so many people in the world 
um, that are, you know, looking for something that they care about, looking for that passion. And, um, and so I'm so grateful that I, that I have too, that, you know, I love, I love music and I love um, marketing and entrepreneurship. And so those are both things that you can spend a lifetime learning about and you, you'll, you'll never be done. You'll always be learning. So to me, it's, it's progressing in that way. It's, um, it's progressing also from not just learning more and more, um, which I will always be doing, of course. Um, but there's um, sort of this idea of, uh, you know, uh, 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 from growth, right? Like growing myself to mm-hmm. contribution. And that's, that's sort of the next stage. And that's, that's something that I'm working on now of like, cool, I grew, like I learned how to do this. Like I, I made a million dollars selling beats online. That's fucking crazy. Like, that's awesome. Very cool. Like, but then at a certain point, it's like, what, am I going to be that excited about the second million, the third million, whatever, like, eh, you know, I, and I'm, it's, that probably sounds like, trust me, I understand that's a lot of money and I'm not downplaying it or whatever, but mm-hmm. for, for me as a human, like at a certain point, it's like, okay, well, I can do it myself, but what's the next level? And the next level is contribution. Yeah. And that's when it's like, well, can I help other people get that? Can I help somebody else, you know, let's say make a million dollars or get six figures or whatever, but even more importantly, mm-hmm. can I help somebody else who maybe was, like me was going to give up on their dream of music. And now I can help show them some stuff and help shift their mindset or a little bit around entrepreneurship to where now, not only do they keep going, but now they have a thriving business where like me, the, the effects are, are, are beyond just like, Oh, cool. I'm making some money now. Like, no, like I was somebody who, um, you know, I still deal with anxiety or whatever, but like, like the person I am today is a completely different person. Um, where I'm, you know, I'm so grateful to where I'm at today. You know, I used to, I wasn't excited about life a few years ago. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. now it's like, now like the possibilities are, 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 you know, super inspiring and, and, and I love doing this stuff. And so the, the next level to me is being able to contribute to help other people do that. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's, that's kind of what's, what's next for me. And that's kind of the phase that I'm, uh, transitioning into. That's awesome, man. So yeah, let 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 people know where they can find you, where they can find um, more information on MIDI money and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So um, you can always go to uh, midimoney.com. Um, go check it out there. Um, find me on Instagram at Legion Gabe. And uh, if you want to grab that uh, Beat Traffic Blueprint book featuring you and you know, about 30 other top uh, producers talking about, you know, all the ways that they're able to, um, you know, get, uh, get attention, get followers, get fans, um, and, and, you know, convert those followers and fans into customers, go to book.midimoney.com slash ocean. Perfect, man. Thank you for, for coming on the podcast, bro. I really appreciate that. Dude, thank you so much. You've been absolutely crushing it. Like I've been watching your stuff. It's it's so cool to see. Congratulations on on all your success. Um, I you know I think people connect with you because the the content is quality and also you're just a genuine likable dude. So um, it's great to have uh, people like you in our in our industry and in our community. I appreciate you and I appreciate you letting me share your platform and and uh, and and speak to your audience as well. Thank you, man. Awesome. And yeah, that's about it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Gabe came through, dropped loads and loads of gems. If you want to learn more about how he 
makes money selling beats this way. I've got a link in the description below which leads you to his presentation. I think it's about an hour or two long and he kind of breaks down the whole process on how he does it. And I've also got a link in the description which takes you to the beat traffic blueprint, the book that we was talking about in the podcast that he just dropped as well. But yeah, that's about it for this one. Thanks for watching. I'll see you or you hear from me in the next one.